having warned the readers about the danger of unbelief in the earlier chapters of Hebrews, the author now details for his readers what faith looks like. The idea is that if you're a follower of Jesus, you ought not to be marked by doubt and unbelief. You ought not to be vacillating, but you ought to be marked by a steady faith in Christ. Now there are a lot of different ideas about what faith is. So we need to make sure that our understanding of faith is tethered to what the scripture teaches. So the author of Hebrews begins chapter 11 with what I would call a partial definition of faith. A partial definition of faith. Now we may wish that a more comprehensive explanation for faith is provided, but what I think the author of Hebrews does here is more helpful than if he simply gave us a lengthy definition. After providing a partial definition of faith, the author of Hebrews then goes on to detail how genuine faith behaves by referencing the actions of many of the Old Testament saints. The author points us to Abel, to Enoch, to Abraham, to Sarah, to Isaac, to Jacob, to Joseph, to Moses, and a host of Old Testament saints to give us insight as to how faith manifests itself in the everyday lives of God's people. So in order to help us examine the subject of faith this morning, I would like to propose an outline with five parts. The first, I want to get straight what faith is not. What faith is not. Once we know what it is, and the second part is we want to know what faith is. Thirdly, we need to know why faith is necessary. And then after doing all of that, we need to ask the question, fourthly, am I a person of faith? And finally, we'll close this morning by asking and hopefully answering, how can I strengthen my faith? So first, we need to be clear about what faith is not. Faith is not wishful thinking. Faith is not the power of positive thinking. Where we imagine that by way of our optimism, we can cause good things to happen. I don't know if this is a, a Star Wars watching crowd. I, I don't know if, if the Bahamas, as it is in the U.S. and Canada, we're obsessed with Star Wars. But I think there's an analogy to be made between faith and the Force. And there's this scene in the most recent Star Wars movie where the lead characters Finn and Han Solo are having an argument about how they're going to disable the shields of the Star Killer base. And if you have no idea what a Star Killer base is, don't worry, it's not essential to the illustration. But the conversation goes something like this. Han Solo turns to Finn and he says, How are you going to disable the shields? And Finn says, I have no idea. We'll figure it out. We'll use the Force. 
To which Han Solo frustratedly replies, that's not how the force works. I was on social media the other day, and I came across a meme that had the following statement. Believe good things will happen, and they will. Believe good things will happen, and they will. Friends, that's not how faith works. It's not how faith works. Faith is not wishful thinking in the face of that which would otherwise be improbable. Faith is not some vague internal feeling that everything will somehow work out fine in the end. Untethered hope and wishful thinking are simply not congruent with the biblical description of faith. So if we now have a sense of what faith is not, let us give our attention to what faith is. And again, we have this partial definition right from the text. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now, scholars debate on how to translate a few of these Greek words, but I think the only change I might make is to say faith is the confidence of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And then what I think you can do with this, even though it's a partial definition, is you're meant to impose that definition on the examples that the author gives throughout chapter 11. And we can do that with a couple of them right now. God tells Noah that he's going to flood the earth. And that the only way, Noah, you're going to survive is if you build an ark that you and your family and animals will occupy. So Noah, build this ark. It's going to be made out of gopher wood. I'm going to give you very particular dimensions for it. So you have this word from God, this instruction from God, and Noah has to act upon that instruction before he sees what is promised be fulfilled. In other words, God is saying, go build this massive boat in spite of the fact that you are nowhere near a body of water. And he does. He builds the ark because he has faith. Because he has confidence in what God has spoken. Confidence in what God has said he will do. Similarly, in the case of Moses... God instructs Moses to lead the Israelites toward the Red Sea. And the Egyptian army is pursuing them. Now Moses, if he was reasoning this out, would have understood this is a terrible idea on the surface. Because he's heading towards a large body of water with an enemy army pursuing him. So there's no way to escape. But God who instructed Moses to lead the people in a particular way also promised to deliver them from harm. So Moses put his confidence, Moses put his faith in this promise that God made. 
By faith, Moses followed God's leading even before he knew what the precise method of deliverance would be. Friends, do you see the difference between wishful thinking, the kind of if I just believe everything will be okay, then it'll be okay. Do you see the difference between that and the faith of our Old Testament saints? Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Moses, and the rest, they were not acting on a whim, but rather they were responding to a promise from God. In other words, faith should always be tethered to a testimony. Faith should always be tethered to a testimony. Sometimes I hear Christians state things with such confidence, and I get nervous when I don't see the thing they're asserting found in Scripture. Our confidence, our faith, is when we can tether our, our, our trust to a promise that God has made. The Old Testament saints did not possess some vague notion that God would save them. They had a specific promise. They had a specific assurance from God that they were leaning on. I want to continue to dissect or unpack this term faith, if you will. And one of my helps in this has been reading one of my favorite theologians, Uh, from the 19th century, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, and he has helped me immensely in my understanding of what faith is. And Spurgeon breaks faith down into three parts, or you might say even three stages. First, faith requires that you know something, or that there's something to be known. Faith requires that you know something. Secondly, faith requires that you assent to something. It requires that you agree to it or or believe it to be true. And thirdly, faith requires you to embrace something or to lean upon something. And then to, to flesh this out, Spurgeon offers an illustration. Imagine in this illustration, you're in this illustration, imagine you come across, you're walking down a main street in Nassau, And you come across a house that is on fire. A house that's clearly going to be burned to the ground. And and as the crowd starts to gather outside this burning house, to your horror, you see a young boy, you see a little boy in that house on the second floor balcony calling out for help. And then a strong man comes forward. Now it takes faith to know that the strong man is there. The boy needs faith to know that there is someone there he can turn to for help. It's a part of faith for the boy to believe that the strong man below him is strong enough to catch him and to keep him safe. But the true essence of faith is determined by whether the little boy is willing to jump off of that balcony and into the arms of that strong man. Dear friends, it is important to know, it it is important to know that Jesus came to this earth to save sinners. 
It is important to believe and be convinced of Jesus' ability to save. But our faith is not yet complete until we have had the experience of leaning on the everlasting arms of our Savior. That's what faith is. So why is it necessary? Why can't I just be a person always doubting? Why is faith so important? Why is it so important that I fully lean upon Jesus? The answer is given right in the text, verse 6. Without faith, without faith, it's impossible to please God. That's a startling statement. It doesn't say, without faith... God's going to be difficult to win over. You're going to have to you know, do something else really well to compensate for your lack of faith. It doesn't say that. It says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And again, we need to bear in mind what the Bible means when it uses this term. Faith is not a description of performance. Faith is a description of dependence. So we're not being told if you perform well with your faith, you'll please God. No, it's all about depending on Him. It's about our confidence in the strong man's ability to catch us. Faith is acting upon the conviction that we must jump into the arms of our Savior. And what we find is that God is pleased with those who are utterly dependent upon His saving power. God is pleased with those who are utterly dependent upon His saving power. And friends, this is a tough one if you've been raised as I have. If you've been raised to be independent, self-sufficient, a do-it-yourself kind of person, this should rub you the wrong way. Because the Gospel in many ways, is a humiliating gospel. Because it says that we can do nothing to save ourselves. But we depend entirely upon Him who is able to save us. And then we're told in Hebrews, when we give ourselves to that process, when we submit ourselves in total dependence, it makes God happy. And once we come to understand... The necessity of faith. It naturally follows that we would ask the question, Am I a person of faith? Not do I go to church, not do I have a history in a particular church or a few churches, but am I a person marked by the, the faith that's described in Hebrews 11? Do I possess the thing that's absolutely necessary in order to please God? Now, some of you may be wondering, why would you ask such a question in a context like this, where everyone is gathered out of their own free will uh, to assemble for a worship service? I'm not the most experienced minister in the world, but I, I've been at this full-time for 18 years, and I have learned that not everyone who frequents a church is necessarily a person of faith. And if you accept Spurgeon's three-part description of faith, you might even say that there are three stages of faith. 
And and perhaps part of the, the reason we come to church is so that the Word of God is so impressed upon us that we go from knowing to assenting to embracing. Because what's likely is that everyone here knows that Jesus came to this earth to save you. You know that. You spent time in Sunday school. You attend church at least occasionally. So I believe that everyone in this room knows what it is that Jesus came to do. But even if you've spent many years attending services like this, even if you have a great familiarity with the biblical themes, it's possible that you are not certain about Jesus' ability to save you. And so you're, you're, you're hedging your bets, you're trying to save yourself, you're trying to earn your way, and you have some notion that Jesus is able to save me also. But you are not yet convinced that Jesus is able to save. Now, it's also possible that you know Jesus came to earth to save. You actually believe and agree with the idea that he is strong enough to save, but what remains for you, is to trust Jesus as your Savior. And I use those words carefully. You see, it's not enough to say and to sing, Jesus is a Savior, or the Savior. It's not enough to say that Jesus is the Lord. Genuine faith embraces Jesus. Genuine faith says Jesus is my Savior. Genuine faith says Jesus is my Lord. He's my Master. And I trust Him completely. I fall into His arms. He's not just a theological principle. He's not simply a historical figure. But He's someone that I utterly depend on. Are you a person of faith? It might be helpful to illustrate this by thinking of a title deed to a piece of property. A title deed to a piece of property. I want you to imagine a scenario that that I dreamed up for myself, and you'll know why in a minute. In this scenario, I'm meeting with my lawyer about a tiny island in the Exumas that I have acquired. I've acquired a tiny island in the Exumas, but I've not yet seen this island in person. So I meet with a lawyer and he asks me, well, have you been there before? No, I have not. What's the island like? I don't know. I haven't been there yet. How do you know that you have it? Well, I have this title deed. And it says right here on the title deed that this island now belongs to me. The lawyer says, you seem rather certain. I am. Why are you so certain? My certainty is based on this title deed assuring me that the island exists and that the person who sold me this island is trustworthy. How do I know if I'm a person of faith? How do I know if I'm going to heaven, how do I know what heaven is like? I have the title deed. 
I have the title deed. And the title deed tells me that heaven is not fiction. The title deed assures me that heaven is a real place. And I have an inheritance waiting for me there. I have a title deed that tells me that the one who gave me this possession is trustworthy. And I can lean on him. Now I realize a person of faith looks at this book differently than a person without faith. Without faith, and I've heard the accounts, if you don't have faith, this is just a book full of old stories. This is just a book full of old stories that may or may not have some helpful principles for you to glean. Without the eyes of faith, faith, there is nothing special about this book. But with faith, and this is huge, because this may be the difference between you getting something from Bible reading and not getting something from Bible reading. With faith, this book becomes alive. And I pray you've had this experience. The experience that when you read this book, you have this strong sense that God is truly speaking in it. More than that, you've had the experience that when you read this book, God is speaking to you in it. That is the way your Heavenly Father communicates with you. Finally, how do I strengthen my faith? Two ways. One we have to pursue, one that's going to happen. How do I strengthen my faith? I strengthen my faith. You strengthen your faith by giving careful attention and study to the Scriptures. You show me someone who's struggling in their faith. You show me someone with serious doubts and apprehensions. And I'll show you someone who hasn't read this book in a while. Because this is where our faith is strengthened. In the same way a person with a title deed to an island in the Exumas reads the title deed so carefully to confirm what belongs to him, to confirm what his entitlements are. Similarly, we must read the scriptures in order to gain confidence in what exactly it is that God promises to give to us. And it's here we learn that the one who gives us our inheritance is trustworthy. One of the ways we grow in our faith is by giving careful attention to this book. There's no shortcuts. It's the best way. I want to give a second way you can grow your faith, but this is not something you're going to go home and seek after. But it needs to be said. And some of you already know this better than I do. One of the ways God intends to strengthen your faith in Him is through your suffering. One of the ways God intends to strengthen your faith in Him is through your most difficult days. Now let's be honest about this. If nothing bad ever happened to you, Ever, what motivation would you have to jump into the arms of a Savior? 
It's only when we realize that the circumstances of our life resemble a burning building from which we must immediately exit only in our hardship, only in our pain, only in our helplessness do we get the sense that I need a Savior. If you can bear every burden on your own, if your shoulders were so strong that you could bear every pain on your own, what need would you have for a strong man? Many of you know this already. Many of you know what it is like to suffer terribly. And I want none of you to suffer on the one hand, because I care about you and I want you to have a blessed life. But sometimes the blessings follow the difficult trials. There are times when trouble surrounds us. Times when adversity is so great that we perceive that we have nowhere else to go. But if there's one thing I'm good at, it's when, when I perceive that I have nowhere else to go, I'm good at asking for help. Calling out for a strong man. And we see the strong man when we call out. We sense the presence of Jesus. And we know from the word he's able to save us in the day of trouble. Psalm 50 verse 15. God invites it. He says, call upon me in the day of trouble and I will rescue you and you will honor me. Call upon God in the day of trial. Jump into his everlasting arms. Our faith is strengthened when we depend upon God amid our suffering. Friends, I want you to grow your faith. Faith is not simply you have it or you don't. Yes, but we possess it in proportion. Uh, we have the parable of the soils and, and, and the harvest. You know, there's, there's many... Uh, Degrees, if you will, of the harvest. Many degrees of the faith. We can grow our faith. The fullness of what we will experience in heaven cannot yet be fully known. But if you live by faith, you will get a regular taste of heaven. If you want a positive motivation, so we gave you the negative one. If you don't have faith, you're not going to please God. Let me give you a positive reason. If you live by faith, if you regularly jump into the arms of your Savior, you will have regular tastes of heaven. Who doesn't want that? What a wonderful motivation. To have faith, to get a glimpse, to get a taste, to get a preview of what eternal bliss will be. Living by faith will enable us to apprehend what is to come. And we'll see that it's infinitely better than anything this world has to offer. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in Him. Blessed is the one who lives by faith. Amen.